Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Welcome to America's Heroes Group on WVON 1690 AM, the talk of Chicago. I am Vietnam veteran host Cliff Kelly. America's Heroes Group is a live streaming podcast, global platform, radio, print, and digital media broadcast show that empowers change agents through intentionally disseminating information, resources, and referrals to empower our military population. And welcome to America's Heroes Group. It is Saturday, January the 8th, and Happy New Year, New Year 2022. January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. The host is Cliff Kelly. My name is Sean Claiborne, co-host, Army National Guard veteran. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith, and our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And today we have a great show, first show of the year. We want to talk about a lot of things, so let's get right into it. So we have a couple of things we want to discuss as it pertains to kidney disease and improved kidney care for black African-American veterans. That is a serious issue, a major, major topic. And we have a couple of guests on the line right now. Samantha White, she is a facility transplant coordinator and a board-certified advanced practice nurse specializing in adult health gerontology. And Tanisha Fanny, she's with the LCSW and serves as the inpatient mental health coordinator on acute physical psychiatric unit. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. This is Samantha White. Hi, Samantha. Tanisha, are you there? Hi, I am. Thank you. I'm fine as well. So what do we need to know about uh, renal care? So renal dis- end-stage renal disease, one thing I did find was that about 13,000 veterans transition to renal replacement therapy each year. And there's about 70 uh, facilities, I guess, around the country, VHA facilities that, that specialize in dialysis centers uh, nationwide. Mm-hmm. Tell us about what we need to know as far as renal disease is is, is concerned, then also why so many more veterans uh, have renal disease or kidney problems as opposed to the rest of the general population? Well, just to, this is Samantha, I'm just going to answer that. Uh, kidney disease is a national problem. Uh, it's a problem that's facing this country for multiple reasons, beyond inactivity, diet issues, compliance issues, and now because of COVID, we're definitely seeing an increase in the number of patients that are either being late seen, not seen, underdiagnosed, and we'll get into the underdiagnosis in a second. But the veteran population is disproportionately impacted by kidney disease for many reasons. One of the issues could be also attributed to access. Uh, we do have the largest healthcare network technically in the world, but unfortunately, a lot of our veterans do have issues with accessing some of our facilities 
And in turn, we have been um, very instrumental in getting them um, access to different modes of transportation to get them there to get their evaluations completed. There's also additional issues which could be more psychosocial related that could contribute to uh, psychological impacts that could create some lifestyle issues that could make them at a higher risk for kidney disease, such as hypertension, which we well know, and the Department of Veterans Affairs has the largest database as far as research on PTSD, and we already know our veteran population has a significant uh, amount of PTSD that we're, we're confronting on a regular basis. But to confront one major area of uh, renal failure, renal care, and even with making sure that we are able to diagnose people in an efficient amount of time is to dissect the construct of how we calculate one major identifier for kidney disease, which is called the EGFR. So, for example, when we have patients, whether it be a veteran or a non-veteran, and they go into the medical center and they get a blood test, and that blood test will measure blood chemistries, and part of those chemistries is a serum measurement of what's called, or a blood measurement of what's called EGFR, that's estimated glomerular filtration rate. That's where we measure the amount of protein, um, which is a byproduct of just living, your muscle byproduct, um, just to see how well the body is clearing it or if there's an accumulation of too much. So we will discuss this in more detail about how African-Americans particularly and those who may for other reasons identify as African-Americans were uh, disproportionately impacted by a race-based calculation on their kidney function. And one of the things the Department of Veterans Affairs, um, as well as locally here at Jesse Brown, we incorporated that into our uh, larger social construct for our organization with Black Lives Matter and White Culture Black Lives. Um, And I'll pass it over to my colleague so she can discuss that in greater detail. And then I will follow back up and inform you a little bit more about the impacts of that and how we will better be able to serve patients in general, but more specifically our veterans within uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs and especially at Jesse Brown by eliminating this race-based social construct. So that's very big news, which will improve care overall. Now, Tanisha, can you tell me more, what does that mean by racial-based calculation? So how does that play into when a person is diagnosed with some kind of kidney disease or um, how is that affecting a person with uh, kidney disease? Well, that's that's for me. I'm more on the medicine side. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, So with regards to the race-based construct, this is with kidney function in particular, that started back with a landmark study in nephrology, which is where all the kidney doctors are basically lumped into. It was published in 1999 by some nephrologists, uh, Dr. Andrew Levy, and I believe his name is Juan Bosch. And this study basically referenced three very poorly controlled, poorly designed studies that put all African-Americans in a nutshell, just basically saying, you know, their kids have more muscle mass. They tend to have more muscle than regular people. So we will go under the assumption that they will create more creatinine. So as a result, we need to adjust this calculation to account for African-Americans just naturally having higher creatinine. So to be more specific, that one landmark study was based on three studies. Hmm. Just to tell you and give you an example of how antiquated their tactics was at that time, one study was basically roughly 240 black and 
white children, basically, looking at their muscle mass, what they call body fat differences. The second study looked at adults and that African-Americans had higher potassium and calcium compared to their white counterparts. And then the third study just basically looked at hospital workers, just saying that African-Americans had higher on average serum creatinine and kinase levels, which all of that can be contributed more so to sociodemographic differences and not necessarily a biological difference. And that's what we were finding, that this EGFR calculation was based on a social construct, which is completely inappropriate. So what we, what we had to do was, with that, to, in order to get people to qualify for care, so say, for example, if I have a patient and we're assuming that his, this creatinine or this particular protein in his body is naturally higher because we falsely assume he's stronger or more dense because he's African-American. So in that case, his, the function that we look at for his EGFR, which is that number, we'll say, oh, it's not that bad. We don't need to refer him to a nephrologist because it's really not that bad because he's African-American. Hmm. Or it, it may disqualify him or her from receiving some medication. Wow. Or even also it can impact their ability to even donate a kidney. There's wow. additional issues with, with, with regards to how we collect data in medicine. If we are not using correct tools when we, when we calculate our data with the data sets that we're receiving, it technically skews all of our studies. So our goal locally, and my colleague will discuss this in detail, our goal lo locally was to say, okay, nationally we have this huge race problem. We've got this issue that we need to address. And we can't solve it all, but what we will do is we will take bits and pieces and what is it that we can do here locally to truly make a difference? So I'm a member of the clinical subcommittee of the Jesse Brown for Black Lives Matter uh, group, master group, which my colleague will discuss with you. And one of the projects that we partook on was the successful removal of this race-based calculator from how we're calculating kidney function within Jesse Brown. And I'm very proud to say that we are one of the first institutions uh, to, to do that. We're not the first, but we are one of the first. So we're the first VA to actually remove it from our calculator, and it is currently spreading outward. So with me also being the transplant coordinator for the facility, that's huge because now we'll start seeing a lot more consultations come in for patients that could actually qualify for transplant. And also we'll have a lot more African-American donors that can qualify for actually being donors with the correct calculation of their GFR based on an actual biological number and not a biological number that's been skewed based off of an incorrect social construct. Mm. So the implications, again, are huge. But I'll pass it back over to my colleague now so she can discuss a little bit more about the committee, the master committee that uh, basically spearheaded this the, the beginnings of what we took over and made a clinical effort. Well, Tanisha, what can you add to that? But so, the, but, but first, I want to make sure we got this clear. So basically, these creatine levels that and the kidneys are designed to get these creatine levels, I understand, like, correct me if I'm wrong, to get these creatine levels down or get it to a safe level to be, kind of mm -hmm. clean our blood, basically. So when exactly. these people are saying, these uh, doctors in previous studies, which had biased studies, were saying, you know what, your creatine levels are fine. You're great. But in reality was you could be really in serious poor shape. You could actually be unhealthy and maybe something could be life-threatening, but you're just disqualified from getting care in the VA system because of these false uh, kind of, I guess, pretenses of 
your black people are different, therefore, you know, it's okay for them to have higher creatine levels. Right. And now I don't I don't really want to imply that the difference was so significant, whereas if we had a slightly high or slightly low normal, um, the patients were in a detrimental situation. But what I am saying is with that race based calculation being present in such a pertinent tool that's used in medicine, it could potentially have impacted at the timing of care definitely would have an impact on certain medications if a patient was able to remain on a medication or even be offered a medication. Um, again, it had some impact on when the, the patient would be referred to a kidney doctor. But then, again, also, this isn't just a kidney issue. We found, for example, the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, they identified in a perspective piece in August of 2020, they've identified 13 different tools that's used in medicine across multiple uh, discipline that technically is utilizing constructs that are based on race. And um, fortunately for us, we were successful in addressing one of the major uh, disease process groups, which is kidney function. We see dialysis centers popping up everywhere because the kidneys are basically a major organ of the body and unfortunately become subject to a lot of lifestyle-based issues such as that can occur with hypertension or diabetes especially or um, even alcohol or substance abuse. So we, we, we took something that was a, a small piece of a bigger puzzle, but its impact will ripple throughout how we are able to better improve our care for our veterans and our non-veteran um, patients. So one thing that you touched on, which is uh, these types of studies, this type of race-based calculations, I've heard of it and with heart uh, diagnoses and with high blood pressure, mm -hmm. things of that nature. And that's also tied to, from my understanding, tied to kidney disease as well. If you have if you have problems with your blood or your heart, that can also lead to problems with your kidneys. Is that correct? Absolutely. 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 Um, and it can have a direct impact on how well the kidneys filter. Um, blood pressure management in alone could be a whole separate conversation because cardiovascular disease is, is, is significant in this country overall. And, again, because of multiple factors, but also because of, the need to make sure that we are educating the public. And that's one of the reasons why I think segments like this are so important is we have to really emphasize how important it is for, for patients to take control of their care, especially our veteran population, take control of their care and realize they have advocates within the healthcare system that will assist them throughout the process, the trajectory of their care, and will give them the best tools to make the best decisions to, to have the best outcome, and that's ultimately our goal. But cardiovascular disease is, yes, definitely tied to kidney function. That's an absolute positive correlation between those two systems. So give us a call to action. What should we as veterans be doing for our health to make sure that we have um, a healthy life, that we, have, that we live better, we take care of our kidneys? Because like you said, you mentioned earlier, there's kidney uh, dialysis clinics popping up everywhere. And it's almost, mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's eerie in a way because you, if you remember a previous uh, era, a previous time, those clinics weren't there before, but you see them everywhere now. What are we doing wrong? What's, what's going on here? Well, I think it's a double-edged sword. I think there are some things that are kind of falling under the bus, such as what's health maintenance with uh, individuals making sure that they're staying on top of their care. But I also think uh, it's a good response to an identified need. We do have a lot of people that are, reading and researching, and they're asking questions. They've increased their access to different platforms such as this, social media. They're looking up information on their computers, on their phones. So as a result of that, 
a lot of people are being um, escorted into the doctor's office and asking questions and asking for blood tests. And as a result of that, we are seeing a response to that demand with the uh, popping up of all of these dialysis clinics um, and our dialysis team. And Jesse Brown, I have to put them out there. They are one of the best. Um, so we, we, we are seeing that. Um, what I think veterans can definitely do is to continue to ask those questions, is to continue to, to make those appointments, those primary care clinic appointments. Go in and talk to your doctor. Go for your, re- your yearly visit. Um, if you are an end-stage renal disease patient and you've identified that, discuss transplant with your nephrologist. Um, if you start noticing any changes in how the, the, your urine or how your body is, start asking these questions and just get the help because it definitely is there. So I think with seeing the, the, the response to this identified need, I think, it, it, yes, it is sad because we are seeing such a, uh, an increase in this, but at the same time, it could be, okay, we've identified that this is an issue. Now what do we do about it? And it's creating that collegial relationship between patients and their providers, I think, is the key to moving forward. Now, Tanisha, you work with, you're more on the medical side of things, um, as you mentioned earlier. So have you personally, if you changed your, uh, your lifestyle, how has your knowledge and your expertise in this field affected the way you live on a day-to-day basis to make, make sure that you're healthier? Right. So actually, uh, Samantha is the expert for everything medical. I am the chair of Jesse Brown for Black Lives, which is the container, so to speak, for the clinical subcommittee and several other subcommittees that operate under Jesse Brown for Black Lives. And it is a, uh, but to answer answer your question more directly, um, I'm elated that you started off with those wonderful follow-up questions for Samantha about uh, what people can do uh, to improve uh, their outcomes and the health of their uh, kidneys. So thank you. I think that was educational for everyone. I quickly wanted to speak about uh, Jesse Brown for Black Lives. Um, Jesse Brown for Black Lives, um, you know, it was brought about in the wake of the murder of George uh, Floyd in May of 2020. And there was a huge uprising in the medical community that ensued um, nationally under the rubric of white folks for black lives. And these groups began to examine the harms caused by racism in healthcare. And as a result of that, the Jesse Brown for Black Lives Task Force was formed in June of 2020 to assess and identify, bring awareness to and discuss addresses of diversity within the Jesse Brown VA Medical Center with the intent, of course, to expose and combat racism that negatively impacts veterans and staff. So um, having said that, we are uh, looking to foster, and we have began fostering dialogue on racism as a public health concern and exploring how racism manifests in the workplace and impacts, again, not only the veteran patients, but also black employees. Uh, So we're looking to shift the culture to one of equity and inclusion uh, by encouraging an environment that's supportive of voices, uh, which promote anti-racist behavior, self-reflection learning and empathizing. And we're just uh, hoping that the end result, of course, is a body of staff that's committed to enacting change both inside and outside of the VA. Mm-hmm. So right, rightfully so on today, I'm very excited that the clinical subcommittee, their work is being highlighted because they've done um, numerous things throughout the, the VA um, and that has us here today. 
I appreciate that, Tanisha. So t- tell me a little bit more about how you see the changes occurring um, with understanding. Do you see the penetration in the African-American community? And also do you see, because it sounds like this is something that goes even goes into medical school. Like these are things that doctors need to be learning about and nurses need to be learning about, you know, when they go into this career field. Absolutely. And you know what? I listened actually to the podcast that you all did for the 75th anniversary of the Veterans Health Administration. That was dynamic. So I'm sure you already have background on how many um, people in the health industry are trained in VAs. And um, what we're looking to do is absolutely change the way that healthcare is delivered or to enhance the way that it's delivered by um, examining and looking at ways that African-Americans uh, how their services can be improved. Uh, so within the uh, Jesse Brown for Black Lives Task Force, we have, uh, like I said, the Clinical Subcommittee, a Courageous Conversations Subcommittee, and these groups are very diverse, um, not only racially and ethnically, but also from a multidisciplinary perspective. So we have um, all disciplines from physicians to pharmacists to pastoral services, and, of course, the medical students and residents, even that you were speaking of, and even uh, staff members from IT are a part of uh, this movement. And in terms of the, the penetration, we know that um, sometimes still when people hear about doing things specifically for black and brown people, it may have a connotation of uh, militants. Um, so some people will shy away from that. And even some of my African-American counterparts have you know, it's, um, it's out of time, Tanisha. I'm sorry to cut you off. I appreciate you guys no coming on. We got to have you back on again. This is Samantha White, Tanisha Fenny. Thank you for coming on America's Heroes Group. Be right back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.